Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The names Rob Lee and Richie mean one thing, let loose. Jack Hughes from Wang Chun. Hey everybody, this is Ivan from Men Without Hats. Hello everybody, this is Francis Dunry from It Bites. Hi everyone, this is Andy from Modern Romance. Hi everyone, this is Charlene. Hi, this is Benny Seaton from Years of Eve. Hi, I'm Nick Haywood. Hi, this is Kevin from Fiction Factory. You're listening to the 80s Rewind Show podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And now... Welcome your host, the face for Radio Burgess. Hello, 80s Rewinders, and welcome to today's episode. Uh, if you haven't subscribed yet, please do. And if you have, thank you so much already. And don't forget to check out all the fantastic content and all the other interviews on this channel. Today's guest, we have the wonderful Lee Murray from the band Let Loose. We talk about him getting his first drum kit, forming the band Let Loose, and the fantastic hit single, Crazy For You. Lee's doing an amazing thing. He's using his drumming seals to help people with depression and mental health issues. Please check out the link below. And if you feel someone needs it, please pass it on. He's doing amazing work and he can really change someone's life. It's fantastic. Anyway, on to today's episode. The 80s Rewind Show podcast, where the past meets the present. If, if we can go back uh, a wee tad, was your, like, your household growing up, was that a musical household? No, not at all. Absolutely. No, I mean, no, I don't actually remember. I think my dad had a couple of records and one of those really old-fashioned 70s kind of, you know, it looked like a sideboard and uh, had, a, had a turntable in it. But I don't actually remember anyone sort of playing any records. My dad had a few vinyls hanging around, but no, none of, nobody played anything. Um, I think I was the first one to sort of, you know, dabble in music. So I don't know where I got it from, really. And what was it that drew you to drums originally? Do you remember what that was? Was it an album? Was yeah, it a single? Yeah, I think so. Well, so um, I was a bit of a melancholy kid. You know, I had a few, uh, well, a lot of problems at school. Uh, very difficult times making friends. I felt a bit sort of, I don't know, I suppose disconnected. You know, a lot, of, a lot of kids are like that. You know, they used to call them, I think when I was a kid, they used to call you sort of emos or goths. You know, I was always dressed in black, very sort of insular. Didn't really talk to people particularly. Anyway, that, that, uh, and it was just music that changed all that. You know, once I discovered, I saw uh, Gary, in front of it was Gary Newman that I saw on top of the pops. And there's just something about the way he portrayed himself that connected with me. He looked a bit disconnected and a bit kind of um, uh, other, otherworldly in the way he kind of, and I actually found out that he's got Asperger's, so that was probably part of it on the autistic spectrum, you know. But it was particularly him and his drummer. His drummer was quite upfront. Um, on, on this particular edition of Top of the Pops, funnily enough. And it just connected with me completely. And I thought, that's what I want to do. And it opened up a completely different world for me as a kid that ha you know, had difficulty connecting with people and making friends and you know, a bit of a loner sort of thing. And, uh, and I sort of discovered through his records that he was sort of a bit similar. So I felt an affinity with that. And then it opened up another world to all sorts of different music and uh, different genres, but usually it was real, very drum heavy, and it, I just connected with it really. 
Uh, was it? Um, did you go straight to drums, or was there any instruments you tried first? Did you try guitar, piano, or did you just go straight for the drum kit? At that at that point, when I was about eleven, um, yeah, it was straight to drums. My dad knew somebody. They, my parents were quite pleased that I sort of found something that gave me a bit of direction because they were a bit worried about me, and we were worried about our kids, don't we? But I was just drifting a bit, and um, so they were really pleased that they that I'd found something to sort of focus on, like a hobby, I suppose. And uh, there was a guy that my dad knew whose son had a drum kit, so I went around there and had a go on that and found that I was had some kind of natural ability, you know, to, to play on it. Yeah, so that was the kind of start of it, really. Fantastic. And did you sort of, like, learn traditionally where you sort of put a record on and play to the record, or did you get lessons from anybody, or did you just... No, first of all, it was just playing to all my favourite records, and then I ended up with a really big record collection and then, you know, discovered all these amazing drummers. I, I, I mean, it opened up, up another world of sort of friendships because I found out that other people were into music and bands and things because I didn't talk to many people when I was a kid. I didn't discover that they also liked music, you know, because I just found it so difficult to make friends. But music changed all of that. Um, and then I discovered that other mates were in bands and then they'd lend me their records and I'd listen to them and then I'd, you know, just investigate and hoover up everything about drums and drummers. And so it just changed absolutely everything from sort of 11, 12, and then into my teenage years. And yeah, just done it ever since. <laughs> just fell into it and that was that. Yeah, I never really had a proper job, you know. That's <laughs> a shame, you know. I've just only ever messed about in, in music. But yeah, drums. I've, I've since learned how to play keyboards a little bit and uh, guitar because I lock songs together and mess about in that way. Yeah, um, but yeah, you know, it's mainly drums. Did you, as a youngster, like, like you said, you got drums that day? Did you sort of start gigging in bands straight away, or did you give it a couple of years? Or you did? Yeah, no. Well, well um, I probably got into my first band when I was about twelve. I don't know, twelve, thirteen, with some mates at school that I just again, you know, discovered that were dabbling with guitars and bass, vocals, and things like that. So I reckon my first gig was about. Yeah, 13 in a church hall somewhere. I did the same sort of thing. When I used to play in bands, we played church halls and we were 15, 16. Yeah. And uh, I was playing in a metal band at the time because um, I wanted to try lots of different drumming styles. And we, <laughs> we were a metal band that had a song called Leviathan's Return, which is obviously the devil's return. We were playing a yeah. church gig and we wondered why they... We wonder why they didn't like the music. <laughs> yeah, that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That, metal bands at that age, that's great. Yeah, I mean, I got into... Um, I got into some pretty heavy, heavy music as well because I always thought that they were the they were the best sort of technical drummers, you know, in that respect. And um, yeah, but that's funny in a church playing that. <laughs> nobody, so, nobody flagged it. Man. No, no, they didn't. That was great. So, did you sort of go into like pub bands after that and sort of doing covers bands, or would you was you working towards sort of getting like the? When did you form Let Loose? Was that like like later on? Is this earlier? Well. Um, I was in, no, funny enough, I was in my sort of schoolboy band, if you like, the one I was talking about when I was 12, right up until I got into Let Loose. So I got, I, I met Richie the singer when I was about 17. So I think right up until probably 16, I was still in the band that I was in when I was a kid. So right. Band, yeah, Distant Voices, we were called. Fantastic. And, um, and yeah, yeah, so uh, we played in, we didn't really do the pub circuit because we were pretty young. But we just played anywhere that have us, you know, scout halls and charity things and, uh, yeah, just that sort of thing, really. You know, hired halls and, and whatever. We never played any pubs. I mean, I, 
that used to that used to be quite depressing to me, even at a young age, the idea of, you know, setting up in a pub where people aren't really interested. I mean, when we did our own gigs, we knew that if people were coming, we knew that they wanted to be there. But with a yeah. pub, unless you've already got a ready-made audience that, you know, come and see you, it was, it, I always found that a little bit sort of depressing. But um, yeah, that, that was 17. I'd met Richie. So, you know, we were off. Fantastic. Did you play the gig that I did where you, you're in a, a place where um, it's empty? <laughs> oh, I loads of those, yeah. Oh, no, even, even in Let Loose, I mean, we did an agricultural show. It's prior to having a hit, so we just played every, everywhere, you know. I mean, this was, I don't know if we were signed or not, but we were sort of cutting our teeth and, and playing all over the place, trying to promote the song, probably, or one of the songs. And we played, it was in a field. So they'd set us up, we turned up in full leather, I've no idea why. So we're playing our songs and there was probably a, a smattering of about five quite elderly people. And we were we were so loud, they were they were just doing that. <laughs> and then look over was as we're as we're throwing some shapes and playing these songs, and there's a there's a bunch of cows that would just be walking across, you know, it was just the most surreal thing, you know, to to, to witness when you're you're doing your best to sort of entertain a bunch of you know blue rinse elderly elderly people. I mean, we just played the most bizarre places all through trying to get you know get the records out and get some kind of success. So we've done everything. <laughs> Fantastic! I think that's the true mark of a musician and a band. You have to do those terrible gigs, don't you? To keep you know, going, absolutely have to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and quite often that's the thing that that troubles me about um, you know the reality shows where suddenly. Young people are taken from nothing, and and they're immediately they've got this massive profile because they they just chucked on television, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, and you have to get used to the idea of of rejection and playing these awful gigs where you know you have to learn how to deal with your audience. You have to learn out learn your craft, sort of thing. Really, it sounds a bit old fashioned, but and that happens rarely now, especially with reality TV. You're just suddenly this enormous TV personality, and you've not. You've not learned that kind of craft on your way up. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that worries me because I think that has, a, has an impact on your mental health. If you've got this fame massively to begin with that could only last sort of a year and then rep company drops you and you're back to having to find yourself a job. Yeah. Uh, and that, yeah, so that, that really troubles me, but it's just a sign of the times, isn't it, I suppose? I think also it's a great way to learn the music industry when you're gigging there as well. You know the, the sharks, you know the fakes, you know... You yeah. sort of, as you're gigging, you think, oh, that guy's talking crap. That's not yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you do. You do. You cut your teeth. But it is, seems to be quite an old-fashioned thing to do now, playing. You used to play the circuit. There used to be a, certain pubs and clubs and things that you play all around London and elsewhere. You know, you just do it over and over and over and over again. Yeah. You, did, you know, as much as it was sort of quite a miserable experience at times, you, like you say, you do learn who the sharks are and you just learn to, to, to learn what you're, what you're doing, you know, um, so I think it's invaluable. You met Richie when he was 17 and then yeah. you were gigging as a sort of formal version of, of Let Loose. When did Rob come into the picture? Uh, that's a good... We did have a guitarist prior to Rob. He was a scaffolder and I think he went off, he went back to... You know, some some people, when you're going through that drudgery, they can't, they, they just don't want to deal with it and, and no disrespect to him. I haven't spoken to him in a long time, but, you know, he... He probably earned really good money doing what he was doing, and he probably thought, "Well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore." You know, playing these, <laughs> playing these dives, you know, and sort of, um, it was just, it was hard work. So he left, and then, yeah, I think we just, I think Richie met Rob somewhere or other, and um, 
he was pretty light-minded. He was really into quite heavy rock. Mm. Yeah, seeing as we were quite a fluffy pop band, you know, um, the individual members were in sort of into very different music. But you know, he was into Thin Lizzy and you know, went to Nebworth a lot and was quite a sort of metalhead. So yeah, I mean, I think we probably met him in the early nineties, somewhere along the line. I can't remember exactly when, but oh, so he was a he was a later addition though, like quite a late, yeah, edition. slightly, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was at the beginning of the whole. Well, I don't know if we were even called Let Loose at the, at the, at the, when he joined. Maybe we were. I can't remember, but. He came in when we signed to Virgin. We had a record deal with Virgin in sort of nineteen ninety. So I don't think he'd been with us that long. So Yeah. And was um how did the like Crazy Few come along? Was the did Richie have the demo then or were you playing that at the time live or so we used to go around to Richie's house, he had a little flat in Bethnal Green and I used to drive down there, it took me about an hour and a half and we were down there every day, constantly sort of writing songs. He was the main writer, but we'd all sort of chuck in ideas and try and come up with songs and, and actually crazy for you, um, we had a quite a turbulent relationship, Richie and I. We, we'd had a row on this particular occasion. I can't remember. I was a bit oversensitive. And I can't remember what he said, but something upset me, and I stormed off. And he was writing the sort of intro and bits and pieces of Crazy For You, and he said, I need help with this. And I stormed off and went downstairs and sat with his mum, eating baked beans on toast. <laughs> and actually, with Crazy For You, we never really liked it that much. We we thought it was all right. It was very sort of fluffy, and um, but it was quite catchy. And it went through various different, you know, we worked on it a long time, trying to toughen it up a little bit, but it was what it was. You know, we remixed it a hundred times, trying to make it a bit more of a rock song. But, you know, it was the lyrics were quite sort of fluffy again and poppy. So we kind of parked it for a little while, but then Virgin really liked it, Virgin mm. Records. And that ended up sort of, again, we produced that all, so many different times, changed it and rearranged it and... But then we got dropped by Virgin. So again, it was all parked and we went back to writing more songs. So it was kind of just hanging around for quite a few years until we got re-signed to Phonogram. And they said, that's that's the one. So Yeah, because um, what I like about the single is you can hear like uh, Rob's rock guitar in it for a start. Yeah, you you yeah. can hear like, so you can actually hear the elements of the band sort of doing it. And I remember when it came out at the time, um, I was about 18, I think. I mean, my mates were all grunge heads. And yeah. I love Pearl Jam and Nirvana. So that single came out and I was like, yeah, I like that record. So I had to kind of skulk off on a Saturday morning without me mates, buy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've had quite a few people say that to me. You know, they sort of, um, it's one of those, it's almost like put it in a brown paper bag and uh, <laughs> they're out of the shop. Nobody can, uh, nobody knows that you bought it. But, but I mean, that, yeah, a lot of people have said there's a, there's a quite a heavy guitar all through it. I mean, I remember actually, Doing the what I did the wah wah in the verses as wah wah guitar. Uh, no, on, on the on the on the bridges, and then Rob was just we just allowed him to we didn't allow him, you know. He he just did this sort of he had his own moment at the end of Crazy If You Were. He just did what he wanted, and it's mm. and I have a lot of people that um, that contact either through YouTube or, or elsewhere. They go that is such a moment, you know, that guitar yeah. riff at the end. Is and he loved it because that's what he was into, you know. Yeah. He, loved, he loved as I say, Thin Lizzy. Um, and all that kind of heavy, heavy rock. So that was that was his moment. Yeah, it was. It's, yeah, the actual bed and the music of the song is quite rocky. It's just the fluffy. It is. Rock, you know. It is. Yeah. I mean, no disrespect to the record, obviously, but I had to sort of go off with me mates, buy it <laughs> on vinyl because yeah. if they'd seen me buying it, I just would have been, you know, crucified yeah. for the next. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, even then, you know, you can hear the rock in that song. It's I, I just treat it as a rock song rather than a pop song. I, I, that's the way I, I've always looked at it. Yeah. 
because of the guitars and the heavy drumming on it as well. Yeah. So, and you had um, Nicky Graham producing it as well, didn't you? you Work with the Nolans and Brass and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But um, it, it's a great record. It's a really great record. It, it's fantastic. That. No, honestly, it is. And then um, you sort of got onto the album. Was the album easy to make, or did that take you a while to to do? In terms of songs, um, because we'd been around for about six years, I think, before we got um, that the second record deal with Phonograph. So we had a lot of songs. So I suppose it was tricky. I mean, the record companies steer a lot of that. We had quite quite a good relationship and quite a lot of um, influence with the songs. And Nick, Nicky Graham is an amazing musician and producer. I mean, and a lot of fluff as well. But he's incredible. You know, as, as a musician, he really is incredible. And he he allowed us to because he could have programmed everything with the drums and um, sort of just taken control. But we made sure all of us played on that album. And obviously we wrote. Oh, there was I think it was a one cover. I can't remember. Maybe that was on the second album. Can't remember. But um, there was two on the second album. Two, weren't there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. First album, it was just yeah. We had, we had quite a few songs to choose from. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was fun. I remember actually enjoying that process of of actually finally being there and you know knocking an album together. It was all fine. It was in a lovely studio. I mean, we started working when Queen were doing their final album. I think it was Innuendo. Was it there? The last uh, Made in Heaven was the last one. What album? With as in as in with, with Freddie Mercury or without Freddie Mercury? Yeah, within. Uh, that yeah it would have been Innuendo. Yeah. yeah. So we were knocking about in in Metropolis. And we used to see Freddie and we used to see, but we talked to Brian. I broke my sticks actually at one point and I, um, the, the tape up went. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals. You can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Down and got me Roger Taylor's stickers. We couldn't afford it. Couldn't afford any sticks. So he said he, he secretly went and had Roger Taylor written on his drumsticks and I never kept them like an idiot. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, lovely memories of that. But um yeah, no, it was quite, uh, quite, quite seamless. Really, there was a bit of toing and froing with crazy. You getting that mix right for when yeah. we released it, um, but yeah, it was quite nice memories of that. I mean, you got some good singles. Have you got a uh, crazy few seventeen? And is it face to face? Was the ones released off of that album? Yeah, but face to face, I think died a death. I think we pulled that one. I never liked that one at all. I've got to be honest, um, and I don't, I don't think any of us did. It seemed like the wrong. Again, I think somebody's. Had a bright idea to release that one, and we we never thought that was that was the right way to go. So, yeah, I think crazy crazy seventeen with one night stand. I forget I forget the order yeah. of it all now, but yeah, there was a few off of it. Actually, one of my songs, which was um, I don't need it, that was actually slated as the first single before crazy, which would have been a mistake. Yeah. Um, but that ended up yeah that we performed it on television somewhere, but that it never ended up being a single. So. Was there 
was there much drum drum samples on the album? Was that you all the way through, or was it was it you sampled, or was there samples overlaid under, over you playing kind of thing? So with Crazy for You, we wanted to make it. So initially, we thought we're just going to play it as a band. We're actually going to record it in the old-fashioned way. We're all just going to set up and we're all just going to play it. And then we had a discussion with Nikki, to my memory, and we thought, well, we want to give it a modern feel. So what I really liked doing was mixing sort of breakbeats and live drums. And it's actually really hard to do because you've got to be so in time and so locked in when you're playing over breakbeats and things like that. So we wanted to give – so Crazy Few was very straight, sort of 4-4, four, four, technical stuff. I mean, I know you'll know because you're a drummer, but it was quite a straight kind of groove to it. And we thought we want to make it a bit more in keeping with, you know, the, the sort of the, the, the grooves that were around. So there was a little breakbeat that just went... So I, I laid that one down. It's like a bar that just kept repeating. And then I played over the top of it. And it was tough because you really got to make sure you lock in. So all the feels and the symbols and me playing, it's all over it. And it's one thing that slightly upsets me, and I shouldn't let it. If I ever read the comments on the Top of the Pops reruns and, and, and whatever, people are saying, there's no way any of them played on that. You know, it's all programmed. And I feel like answering them, but you, sh- you, you mustn't ever do that. But saying, no, I really, I'm playing all over it. You know, all of us are. We're all playing on that record. And we absolutely insisted that it has to, we have to be on it. Um, but yeah, so we mixed the two a little bit. There's one, there's one or two songs where I programmed. I think there's one called Love Like There's No Tomorrow. That's all programmed apart from cymbals and hi-hats. But yeah, otherwise it's just, it's, there's playing. Yeah, it's all played. Like going back to your comment there, I think what it is is with like drummers in particular, drummers can see drummers. And even if you look at yeah. your old footage when you were live and you're even if you were miming along, you could tell you're playing along with the right time signature, you're moving in the right, right. way. I'd like yeah, Ricky yeah. Dolan's from the monkeys who used to just hold the sticks and <laughs> wave. Well, he was a guitarist, wasn't he? He auditioned apparently for <laughs> guitarist. Yeah, he wasn't a drummer, but no, no, I understand it. And we were young and we were we were smash hits, you know, that was where we were sort of um, pitched. So I, I, I get it. People are, um, you know, people that are into, you know, r- real music, you know, immediately look at it, you know, with a sort of critical eye and think, oh, no, they're not, they're not musicians. But, you know, when they dig a bit deeper, and as I say, you know, Rob, Rob was absolute. He hated anything that was manufactured. Absolutely mm. hated it, and he hated the whole smash hits thing. Hated yeah. mining. We all wanted to play live, but you know, we were in that kind of bracket of boy bands, and so we just went with it for a little while. Uh, yeah. yeah, but some of it was a bit. Was it bothering you that you weren't getting taken seriously as a band? Was that was that the main thing at the time that you wanted to get taken seriously? Uh, a bit, yeah. We used to go on because we were all we had a thing about being called a boy band, and actually, looking back, we should have just just not been so kind of sensitive about it because really, we kind of overigged it a bit. If we, I remember we went, went on this morning quite a lot and they'd say, oh, this is a boy band. And we go, well, we're not really a boy band because we, pl- we play, you know, we don't dance, we don't <laughs> choreographed, you know, we don't do any of that. We play live gigs and we're all musicians. And actually it was, it was, we flogged that one to death and nobody really cared. You know, yeah. they just wanted to talk about the record, you know, nobody was really interested who wrote it or whether it was written for us, you know, or anything like that. And that was a bit of a bugbear, but I should have been, I think all of us should have been a bit more relaxed about it and thought, well, it just doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Um, but yeah, we were really at odds with that. We just thought, no, we want people to know that we're, we're players. And, you know, the more people bash, bash you over the head with that, you know, the more it becomes a real bugbear. Mm. But it was what it was, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, digging into your, um, yeah, obviously I was going to talk to you, so I was digging into the research in your albums and stuff. I didn't realise how much, uh, like yourself and Richie, wrote a lot of the stuff. I was expecting to see a, a like a, an old list of songwriters. I didn't realise you were that involved in it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the thing. I mean, to begin with, that's why we wanted to be, um, I, mean, I suppose we could have gone two ways. We could have gone down, I mean, not that we were a soul band at all, but the wet, wet, wet sort of route or the Duran. But it was all just so, in the 90s, that was all so old-fashioned. You know, to say we liked Duran, that was back then. That was in the last, you know how things used to move on so quickly. <laughs> it was a bit like, um, hey, yeah, don't talk about Duran, don't talk about all that stuff. You know, this is Take That here and uh, E17 and that that's, you know, take your tops off and jump around. And mm. we were just very resistant to that. Um, and, it, and, it, and, and to a degree, it made us sound like we were just a bit out of touch, you know, yeah. to be talking about playing drums. If we were a bit later, maybe when Busted came along, you know, um, it was a bit more in, in, in fashion to play instruments. They're still kind of pop groups, but they have guitars on that. So maybe we were just a bit, we should have been in the sort of 2000s as, as opposed yeah. to the 90s. Maybe we'd have been accepted a bit more. And with the second album, Roller Coaster, how, how quickly did you get pushed into the studio to make that one? Did you have time to, to make and write that album or were you pretty much right back in because you just had a hit single and the other well, three? We made no, it was, it was quite... Richie was pretty prolific with his writing and we all sort of were involved a little bit more. There were a few covers on that because the, the hit single started to dip a little bit. I mean, Make It With You did really well. Um, trying to think what else was... Uh, I think one of them tanked, really tanked, which was Everybody Say Everybody Do, which we really liked. We wrote that with Nick Kershaw, but that could, that pretty much tanked. So we made the poor decision of saying, no, we really want to leave this boy band thing uh, behind now. We just want to be what we are, which is a rock pop band. Hmm. Uh, and it was a mistake you know it really was a mistake we should have just probably carried on with much as I love Nick Kershaw I think he's amazing we probably should have gone again with Nicky Graham and done a slight change from where we, where we were but made it much more gradual but yeah with Roller Coaster, we just sort of, sort of turned into this more of a sort of rock rock pop band and we just got more entrenched in just the whole live thing you know and touring and whatever and people didn't like it they just wanted uh, Crazy For You Mark too. I suppose. Mm. Is that play the same song? <laughs> just keep yeah, playing. It's, yeah. <laughs> well, as I say, you know, Make It With You did really well. I mean, I think that was number, I got in the top 10, I think. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm trying to think what else came off of that. You had uh, Darling Be Home Soon. That was the same. Yeah, that was, I, yeah, absolutely tame. That was terrible. I mean, I like the song. It's a beautiful old song, you know. Yeah. Um, On Sebastian. Yeah. Luke Cocker did a cover of it. It was amazing. Yeah, no, the whole album, it was just a bit of a disaster, really. I mean, a lot of people contact me and say I prefer it to the first one, but they're probably, they're more muse of the people that like the second yeah. one. Um, yeah, but it wasn't, it, it just didn't work for us, you know, and we made a mistake and then the record company got cold feet, so. And is this is this the sort of point where the band wound down as well after the second album? Have you got, well, do you we do this? We yeah, we it was mainly Richie and I, but we just weren't getting on. So, and to be honest, without going into detail, which is probably not what this, this, podcast is about oh, you know no, of, course, of course yeah my, my mental health went really uh, down the toilet so i had to be very careful um and i thought it's just time to go you know and sort of reevaluate what i want to do um yeah so i, so I was the first one to jump mm. and then sort of rob followed i think they were going to try and carry on to get another drummer in you know and then rob disappeared and then yeah off we went what I loved about your your two albums at those times is you didn't come back with the obligatory uh, swing album you know, there was no Little Loose <laughs> Sinatra and all that sort of rubbish. Oh, no, no, yeah. no. I mean, yeah. um, no. That 
as I say, I mean, the, the roller coaster was probably a taste of where we wanted to be, which was just a rock, you know, quite a rock outfit. We were still, we love pop melodies, you know, really, really strong melodies. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we wanted to, and it just, I don't know whether it was just old fashioned at the time. As I say, it was all boy bands and he's 17 in that kind of smash hits genre. And we just ended up sort of just, just not fitting in. So we didn't fit in with anyone. You know, that was, I think that was probably, you know, why we disappeared. You know, people didn't really understand what, what where we were going, what we were doing. Uh, and as I say, if it was maybe in the 2000s, it would have been a different story, but not so much in the 90s. It's like, yeah, the audience wasn't ready for the band almost. No, maybe not. I mean, it could, maybe it was songs. I, I don't know. I mean, I really liked um, Everybody Say, Everybody Do. Um, but then maybe it's just because I enjoyed playing it. You know, it's it's mm. just fun a song to play, but it didn't connect really with people and radio didn't particularly like it. Again, they just wanted, you know, crazy for you. And uh, we were we were done with all that, to be honest. Yeah. In 2009, you released the Paint It Gold album and I was playing that the other day. Yeah. That's a really nice album. And it's definitely a different Let Loose album because it's a mature album. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so we did, um, so I, Richie and I wrote, the, the, the single painting gold. Actually, that picked up some radio play. I think Steve Wright played it. Um, and there was another guy. Actually, that was a three-way co-writer. There was another guy, really successful writer. I'm afraid his name escapes me, but a uh, really established guy, a great, fantastic songwriter. And we I quite enjoyed that, actually. We did a little video, and that connected to a degree, but without a record company, we couldn't get any traction with it. You know, I think really it was just a, a, a coming together with Richie and I to sort of do an album that we really wanted to do. He'd written a lot of songs, and um, and we gigged that as well. Sort of the odd, we did a we did a really kind of um, what did we, where were we? I think it was ninety three feet east. It was in the East End. We did a gig playing that, which was which was good fun to see all the old faces again. Um, and then Richard and I fell out again. So that, <laughs> at the end of that, so it's proper rock and roll falling out, you know. And uh, that's just how it how it happens. I think if Painted Gold was your second album. If you could sort of rearrange time, I think that would have been a more successful album in the nineties. I think. I think maybe yeah. Because I think like yeah, Painting Gold might have been a better follow-up um, on Roller Coaster. That, that, I think that's a good point. I never even thought of that, but yeah, that's that's a good point. Because when I was listening to the to it the other day, it had that mature sort of band sound that which was then yeah. creeping through. Not necessarily you had the Britpop stuff and you had the grunge from Nirvana, but there was another under sort of there was a lot of bands circling at the time that were. Sort of like, who am I thinking of? Um, like um, Counting Crows and things like that. Yeah. So you had, and I think that album would have fitted in that category. I think. Uh, yeah, possibly, yeah. I mean, maybe yeah. times just shift and fashions shift a little bit, don't they? I mean, so if you think of some of the, I'm thinking of Lewis Capaldi maybe, and some of the more, the sort of mod back then it was all about the way you looked and it was all about the, the sound and things like that. But now everything is just wide open. You don't have to be aesthetically, you know, look a certain way. You know, I mean, you can look like, I mean, Ed Sheeran, I think he's, there's nothing wrong with the way he looks at all. But, you know, back then it was all about aesthetics. It was all about taking your top off. It was all about being really handsome and, you know, in the, in the pop genre. Yeah. Um, and it was just whether you were, we just, in the end, that was absolutely sick of all that, you know, because we, we just wanted people to listen to the songs, you know, and enjoy the music. Um, so it's much, much more open now. So I think, I think you're right. That's been like that for a while. So maybe if we were around and we were pitching that as a second album with that, that with Paint It In Gold as the lead um, single, then it, it, yeah, it could have been different. Yeah. 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 Um, 
So let's talk about what you're doing now because you're doing a wonderful thing with drums. Can we talk about that for a second? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, going back to me moaning about what I was like when I was at school, um, which was just having sort of various difficulties. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but drums kind of saved me in a, in a, to a degree because I was that bad. You know, I was in a, it was it was very dark. Um, and it was only when I discovered music, there was no music therapy, it wasn't really heard of, or at least I, I, I wasn't aware of it back in the sort of 80s. And um, so I drilled down into that as I've got older and, you know, um, looked at why drumming was such a sort of significant thing to, for me to find in my life. And then, you know, I looked at all the studies that I didn't even know existed from um, the Royal sort of College of Music and various other sort of universities. And um yeah, just discovered that there's this really close connection with uh, with particularly, I mean, music, music therapy, you know, is a sort of large umbrella with uh, all, all different sort of genres of music, and then we all know the benefits of, of music in general. But particularly, drumming seems to do something very, very positive to people with you know anxiety and depression and you know autism, ADHD. So it's been my life's work now to spread the word as much as I can to get people, young people, to pick up drumsticks and, and, and try it. If they're in a dark place or they have any kind of neurodiversity, not exclusively because I teach people that are neurotypical as well. Um, but I've seen how what a difference it can make to people and I just absolutely love it. You know, um, I work with quite profoundly autistic individuals some that just have Asperger's and just struggle a bit, some people that are anxious. And I can see, you know, they have one lesson and they leave with a massive grin on their face. Um, and, yeah, I love it. I really do. That's amazing. We'll put a link in the description for your website so people can oh, find that as well that are listening. Thanks, man. Uh, no, no problem. So looking forward, will there be sort of maybe another incarnation of Let Loose, maybe doing an acoustic gig or a one-off gig or anything like that for Let Loose fans? I only had a couple of messages the other day on um, on Facebook and someone actually said, and I was absolutely floored by this, they said that they'd finance a gig. Nice. And I thought, that's, that's amazing, really. I would never, ever think that anyone would have even be remotely sort of interested or that interested in, in, a, in a gig. Um, and we get offered stuff all the time, you know, retro 90s gear. There's loads of them, loads of them. All, you know, you, you're aware of them, right? All the festivals and so on. Yeah. Rich and I just don't speak, you know. We just—I've not spoken to him for years, and I just think he's—he's—he doesn't want to do it, and I understand it completely. You know, he's parked the whole thing. He's off doing—I think I don't—I don't really know what he does now, but you know, he's—he's not—he's been doing artwork. Oh, okay, yeah. I know he was dabbling in that, yeah. And um, and I think he's—he's quite happy just just to do that, and I understand it, and I—you've got to respect it, really. So I just—I can't see. I think it'd be nice to do it even one, you know, just to get all the crowd, all the kids that used to follow us around and now sort of, you know, parents themselves and, you know, it'd be, and sometimes it's, it's a nice thought to, to, to do something, but well, I just can't, can't see it happening. We're pretty okay, old. Mate. We're pretty old. You know? <laughs> yeah. But you look great. Um, <laughs> um, if it comes around, please let me know. Cause I'm sure we'd love to go. Like I'd definitely go. Um, oh, Lee, it's been amazing chatting today. Thanks for your time, mate. It's been brilliant. My pleasure. It's lovely to talk to you.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.